1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, today's topic is one that you won't find spoken about too much um, or on the circuit, certainly not in the property community in, in truth. And it's, it's all about handling things that can go wrong in our property business. So if nothing else, you'll get a chance to enjoy a healthy dollop of schadenfreude in this week's show as I reveal some of my own biggest setbacks and how I dealt with them. So let's not waste any time and get straight into the juicy bits right now then, shall we?
0: Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter.
1: I decided I wanted to wear my heart on my sleeve a bit in today's show. Uh, After a couple of uh, of recent experiences, one is my own, uh, but a couple of others um, I've picked up from other people, some some other investors and also a mentee that I've been speaking with recently about things going wrong, um, or in particular, the fear of things going wrong as well. So I plan to fess up, as uh, the teenagers would say, to a couple of defeats, setbacks, or if you like, failures of my own in the hope that you can get to take away a really big lesson that is in order to achieve success in property we may well have to overcome some kind of adversity or even uh, overcome some kind of fear of failure now it isn't always the case but yeah there's always going to be some kind of setback I would suggest somebody asked me this question literally today is it always going to be like this? And I did answer the question immediately, but afterwards I reflected and I I thought about a friend of mine who um, he he was posting on Facebook recently after the England football team's demise in recent football tournaments. And uh, if you're not an England football fan, you're probably rubbing your hands with glee at this story. But his son, who is, I think, about 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, that sort of age, he said, Dad... Is it always like going to be like this with uh, watching England? And uh, the father looked at him and he said, "Yes, son, it is." But he was extremely honest because, uh, let's face it, from an English football point of view, we've uh, we've basically won nothing apart from the World Cup in 1966, which uh, most people can't even remember. Um, so that's the extent of the uh, that uh, that kind of success, if you like. I'm sure there's been many successes along the way, but in terms of major tournaments, that's the only one. But at least there's a star on the shirt, so uh, before people start uh, crowing too much about that uh, just check that you 've got a star on your shirt uh, before you do and I know that the Germans are listening or perhaps the Brazilians and the Italians might be might be sort of about to uh, to jump in there but anyway that 's uh, a little bit of a digression, but the point i 'm trying to illustrate is that um, you know things can go wrong in property, and where i 'm going to get to in all of this is really how we can prepare ourselves we can prepare ourselves in a a couple of ways we can prepare ourselves with mindset, how we go about how we think about things. We can also prepare ourselves in terms of process. So, there we go, uh, something of a digression, I guess. But, um, in the interest of making this uh, a more personal share, um, the case studies I'm about to go through are all unscripted. Um, I've made a couple of notes of what I wanted to talk about, um, but uh, if I make the odd stumble as I go through the case studies and just share a little bit about them, uh, please don't judge. Um, because uh, I'm trying to keep it as real as possible for you here today and as heartfelt and uh, just, you know, kind of, you know, shoot from the hip and give it from the heart, as it were. So uh, there's a couple of case studies I kind of wanted to share with you um, in terms of setbacks along the way. And I guess the first one has to be, for me, my very first uh, property investment. And uh, you may have heard the story before if you've uh, watched or listened in to anything that uh, I've I've shared my first property investment was undertaken in the mid 90s and I was an accidental landlord and so the property was previously my home and I had a job relocation several hundred miles away from home. The house was in Slough and the relocation was up to Manchester and I just thought it'd be a good idea to rent the property out. I didn't really know anything about being a landlord. I didn't understand that it was a good idea and perhaps there'd be something in this. I just thought, well, why not? and um probably um, as you 're here I wish i 'd have kind of followed through a little bit more because i 'd be in a slightly different position as certainly as that far as far as that investment 's concerned, if I had. But uh, needless to say, I um, kind of shipped up to Manchester, got a letting agent in and I got in a tenant and the tenant said that we're going to stay here forever type of thing. And the letting agent said we're going to take care of everything for you. And I just went off to Manchester hoping just to concentrate on my new job and not really worry about too much about the property and just uh, count a few quid as it came in uh, each month. Anyway, needless to say, I had a couple of things happen to me. The first is that I had a, a major repair issue that took place quite soon after I'd handed over the property. It's quite funny, really. You live in this property and there's no real problems, and then you move out and then there's a problem. Anyway, in this particular case, the um, the water tank uh, Kind of exploded, <laughs> or maybe there was a severe leak. Maybe I'm exaggerating, but there was a there was a mess, frankly. And uh, the water tank, which was hosted in the uh, housed in the loft, rather, um, uh, yeah, it sprung a leak, and it was a big problem. And you know, it was quite a significant repair but And the cut a kind of long story short, that repair kind of wiped out that year's profit, more or less. So, um, you know, projected profit at that point. So I had to shell out some money on a repair bill. I was a bit stressed out, obviously getting a phone call. Uh, from the agent, you need to sort this out, type of thing, because yeah, I can take the call, but I can't resolve it. Uh, wasn't greatly helpful, but at least to say he did actually help in the end. And uh, we got someone around, we got it fixed, uh, but uh, it was a four figure repair bill. And I certainly wasn't expecting that. So that was uh, that knocked the wind out my sails quite quickly, I have to say. Uh, me thinking I'm going to be a big time property investor, uh, and uh, that's what happened to begin with. And then, you know, it wasn't immediately, but a month or two after that, the tenants that we brought in who had convinced me that they wanted to stay forever, I mean, they didn't literally say forever, but a long time, um, they they decided that uh, they wanted to uh, to leave after the first six months. We put them on initial six-month uh, tenancy, and the idea, of course, is that we renew it after that. And by the way, that's a wise decision. Um, if you can, I know people are looking for long-term year tenancies and that kind of thing, but actually i 've often found that it's the tenant's situation that changes, not mine, and so uh, they they 're the ones who are often lo- looking to move on and um, the the idea of three year tenancies is not really that uh, that com- you know uh, compelling a case actually I found but anyway that 's a digression again but Needless to say, these uh, supposed long term tenants, they decided that they, um, they'd they had enough, they wanted to move on for their own reasons. And so then I was left with uh, reletting the property and a, and a potential void period. So my experience within the first six months was a hefty repair bill, which had pretty much wiped out all projected profits for the year. And then a long term, what I thought was stable tenant, deciding they were going to move on. And of course, um, you know, having to relet the property and probably possibly having a void period and that kind of thing as well. Needless to say, the failure element really, or the defeat or the setback, whatever language you want to use, was that I decided this was all a bit too much and uh, therefore I'd sell the property. So I did. I decided not to re the property. I decided to sell it instead. I did make a few quid on that property, uh, much more than I paid for it. But bear in mind, I'd also lived there for a couple of years. So some of the capital growth I've achieved was uh, natural just because I'd lived there. Certainly from a rental point of view, I hadn't, hadn't made any profit. Um, so the capital growth I'd, I'd gained was largely down to uh, just sitting on it for a little while and, and the property value sort of escalating slowly. Um, so took that money out. Can't really tell you what I did with it, in all honesty. Um, I didn't reinvest it, which was another issue. Um, possibly had a nice holiday, and uh, maybe there was—I uh, you know, think the wife had a new car or something like that. But um, yeah, it didn't—it didn't get put to good use, and so there was quite a lot uh, you can just take away from this story. I think if you want to unpick it yourself, but needless to say, that was in the uh, in the mid '90s. That was my first property investment, and uh, yeah, so. Had I retained that property, it would have, uh, I think it's last time I looked, it would have gone up roughly five times in value by now. So that was the mid 90s. And of course, now we're in the, uh, you know, sort of mid 2010s sort of uh, time span. So, uh, yeah, it would have gone up roughly five times in value. So, ouch, <laughs> I guess is the is a key takeaway there. So, yeah, could you call that a failure? Uh, it's definitely a setback, um, and you know, and, and perhaps I could have done things differently. So, I didn't know what, I, what you know, anything about property investing at that point in time, and that's a key issue, by the way. Needless to say, that's the first example I wanted to share with you. The second one is something um, that came about really when I got going in property investing in earnest, and it took some years to recover, if you like, from that first property investment. Um, I was kind of a little bit tainted, I suppose, from the experience Um didn't think it was probably as good as I thought it might have been and um, I kind of just didn't do anything about it, frankly. And then I had my what I call my Eureka moment. Now this was in the mid-noughties, so, um, you know, a couple of years later uh, after after that experience in the mid-nineties, so, um, you know, I kind of did nothing for a for a decade. And then I had this Eureka moment where I kind of just got in my head I realized the whole issue of compound growth and you know other people's money and leverage and all of that good stuff um, that now i'm very familiar with and uh, and practice and uh, put put into practice in my property portfolio but um, I had my Eureka moment, and I decided that I would uh, go again in property. But it took four years. It took four years from that eureka moment of, wow, this is it. I need to get back back into property again to actually making my what I call my second first investment. And um, I I didn't know what I know now. Had I known what I know now, and uh, the clue there is education, um, I probably could have got started a lot sooner um, because if you have heard some of the stories I've relayed, my my next uh, investment, my second first investment, if you like, um, I only had ten thousand um, pounds saved up from a deposit. Uh, so not a deposit, a bonus from work, and uh, I was able to stitch that together with bridging finance and a contractor loan, and indeed uh, joint venture finance from uh, a friend, and uh, and got going in in a, in a property project which uh, worked out quite well, I have to say. But I, cash- I could have actually pretty much done that straight away. Uh, so I had a four year lag and, probably, there's a video floating around somewhere, which talks about how that four year lag cost me 1.8 million. Um, and it did, uh, because in my first year, uh, getting back into property again, I, I, I bought three properties and I'll tell you a little bit about that in a second, but I bought three properties and, um, yeah, the, the sort of equivalent value would have been about 1.8 million had I started four years sooner. So yep that was quite a hefty mistake so just the delay uh, cost me 1.8 million not getting into the market not finding a solution um, that met my needs um, was quite an expensive one. Um, so was that a failure? Was it a defeat? Was it a setback? Take your pick as to what it was. Um, but as I mentioned the biggest issue was a lack of education. So this is part of the reason why I, you know, develop the property voice is really to share my knowledge and to let other people know what is available, what is out there, and perhaps you can learn from some of my mistakes too. And that, you know, that's also part of the purpose of today's episode as well. But where I'm going with this, uh, what happened next in that first year? I've spoken quite a lot about in my, you know, my my uh, next year. So when I got back into property in earnest and, and buying three properties in that first year. I kind of left something out and that's that I left out. There was a fourth property. There was a fourth property that I got involved with at that time and um, I'm probably a little bit ashamed to say so, but I didn't really know exactly what I was doing. And so I don't think there's any shame in me sharing that with you now. And so that's what I'm going to do is um, there was a fourth property that I I acquired in that first year when I got back into property in earnest. And it'd be a better story if I said I bought four than I bought three. But you'll hear why I don't mention the uh, the black sheep property in that first year, and that's that uh, if anybody's ever heard of the company Harlequin, um, they were uh, selling uh, off-plan uh, developments in exotic places like Saint Lucia and Barbados and other places in the West Indies. And um, not only did I get involved with this company, um, and not only get involved with the company, rather, I also committed not just my own funds, but part of my SIP. So I, ha- I had a, a self-invested pension that I'd stitched together from uh, various places, transferred it, and uh, I did a sort of a, a 30%, 70% split. Uh, 30% was my money, 70% was my own SIPs money. So it was all kind of my money. Um, but essentially, I gambled my pension, or a substantial part of my pension, along with a, a bunch of cash, that I uh, personal cash that I had at the time. And I, uh, I invested this into uh, a Harlequin property, it, it, I, it, I did have some sense of putting it into a completed project rather than an off-plan project. So a little bit of credit to me there. But essentially, um, if you follow that story at all, you'll probably know that that's all turned to uh, to rubbish, really. Uh, it's it's just all gone, Pete Tong, it's terrible. And um, sorry about all these teenage phrases that I, I must be hanging out with my kids too much. Um, that I'm coming out with, but um, you know, basically, it we all went wrong, and I've been sat for several years now, uh, in trying to fight to recover the position, and um, only only fairly recently I, I went to the financial ombudsman service and I got awarded, um, you know, a claim in my favour, uh, you know, which was that I'd been badly advised. And uh, I was awarded compensation long story short so i'm uh, 'm in the process of just getting the the compensation together, getting the money back um, that I possibly can, and um, to restore some of my uh, lost pension, a hole in my pension that I had at that point in time so I've never really spoken about that too much. If you've ever watched it, uh sorry followed some of my social media, you might have seen me hint at the harlequin situation a few times. And maybe if you've read between the lines, you might have you might know that I was perhaps uh, impacted by that. Well, I'm coming clean. I was impacted by that. And um yeah, it was um I got carried away with myself and um I guess if you could add all of the things together that, you know, you possibly shouldn't do, that was uh, that was it, harlequin. Uh, off plan in the in the in the West Indies, <laughs> probably not the best idea in the world. But you know, I just kind of thought it was at the time, and um, I was going for it, and I wasn't going to let things get in my way. Um, the whole SIP idea was putting my money to use in pension, but that was probably a really stupid idea um, at the time. In fact, it definitely was. Um, you know, to put everything, all my eggs in that basket, and to make it such a, a high risk strategy as well. So there you go. Um, that's out in the open now. So if you're thinking about doing something similar, um, i.e. off plan, using your sip in the West Indies or something like that, then maybe you should think very hard before you do that. So I, um, I did that. I, I, I went there and uh, I learned a lot through the whole experience. It's been quite traumatic. But, you know, I think I'll come back to mindset in a minute. Um, it was traumatic for a time. Then it just becomes um, an activity, a task uh, and you, you you sort of remove the emotion, and you just deal with it, and you just you know trying to make a make a, a bad situation the best you possibly can. So uh, maybe touch on that later on when we do some kind of summary. But there we go. So that I guess that was the second case study I uh, I wanted to illustrate with you. And if that's not enough. Um, for you to perhaps be uh, thinking wow this guy (laughs) what has he been up to Uh, there are some successes here by the way but you know I'm just you know the whole point of today is to uh, talk about some of the the darker side of property and what can possibly go wrong and maybe how you can deal with it and and I'm sharing my personal uh, stories really a little bit so that uh, maybe some other people can learn from that and um, and take something away and take some comfort in that and, and, and maybe you know help them in some way. So the third situation was, was far more recent, so I've, I've had a bit of a good run, I have to say, so after the whole Harlequin uh, failed attempt, um, I've had a good run in property, I've um, accumulated double-digit portfolio, I've got uh, property investments in five different countries, uh, I'm not including the West Indies in that, <laughs> uh, in that list because I don't really classify that as being a worthwhile investment, but you know, in five other countries that I know a little bit better the, than the West Indies. Um, I've got multiple interests, multiple strategies. You know, I've been involved in I've done flip projects, HMO projects, holiday rentals, standard buy to let, some small development types of projects, and refurbs. I'm probably forgetting a few, but um, yeah, there's uh, a number of different things I've uh, I've been involved in 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 different countries, and yeah, I can say that properties. You know, I've done a, I've done well for property. Uh, long and short of it is uh, that 's the case, so you know uh, it 's not you know I just try I bump along from failure to failure here i don 't wait to get that impression um, you know things have gone really well actually um i don 't really shout and scream about it too much, but they 've gone really well for me i 'm happy to report but uh most recently, we had a little bit of a setback we were undertaking a development project and um The the long and short of that is that there was something that was identified through... We were looking at a a commercial conversion in Cambridge. You might have heard me speak about this uh, before or seen some literature or something like that. And um, during the legal conveyancing process, it was identified or flagged that uh, some of the existing tenants in the building might be deemed to be on what's called protected tenancies. And uh, the long and short of that is that it created some exposure or some risk. Uh, to, uh, to 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 not really being able to easily get uh, these tenants out if we needed to and bearing in mind what we're trying to do was uh, seek planning permission to convert the building into residential accommodation that's exactly what we needed to do we needed the, a clear opportunity to be able to serve notice and to invite the uh, tenants to, to the commercial tenants this is to move on uh, so that we could do the conversion work so of course if we were delayed significantly or we had extra costs because we may need to pay compensation um, that would um, you know derail the project to some extent. There were a couple of fixes that could be made um, but needless to say what we decided to do was to try and de-risk that situation and one of the ways to de-risk it apart from uh, putting people onto more clear-cut leases and perhaps in our name or having an assignment right to us uh, without going into the technicalities. The other thing we're looking to do was uh, renegotiate the price so that we reduce the downside risk because the protected tenancies, they didn't really change the upside in this project, and it was quite significant. There was a significant upside in this project, I have to say. Well, I don't even want to talk about the figures, but you know, it could have been sixty percent or something like that, seventy percent return on investment, those sorts of figures. So the upside was pretty tasty, but the downside, there was an extra risk because if we were delayed and perhaps had compensation uh, and didn't get our planning approval, etc., then you know, it just adds to the cost of uh, exiting the project. And we were working with some investment partners on this project. And whilst we were confident we could we could find a resolution and we were prepared. That's me and my business partner. Whilst we were prepared to proceed in our own right and take a risk, a calculated risk, I hasten to add, because we knew that we could probably fix this issue of protected tenancies what we weren't prepared to do um, you know because of our fiduciary duty and as a, for a duty of care to our investment partners was was kind of put our investors in that position so uh, we decided to uh, essentially back out we we couldn't renegotiate the price we'd felt that uh, to proceed at sort of a, anything like the, the original price that we agreed for this property would uh, would be too high a risk really for for us to uh, invite our investment partners to take along with us So we did the only thing we thought was the right thing to do, which was to withdraw. Um, And so we did. So we lost the deal, in a sense, uh, because we weren't prepared to pay the price uh, anymore and um, or carry some of that risk. But the consequence of that is that we had some abortive costs. Uh, Abortive costs are, in in any sort of property transaction, they're the costs that you carry if the deal doesn't go ahead. Uh, often they're just legal fees, There could be a finance application fees, in our case there are also planning fees and a bunch of surveys and things like that, uh, advisory fees, that kind of thing. So we had a significant um, uh, extent of abortive costs um, that, that we were landed with as a result of that project. And I, I do always talk about the whole risk-reward trade-off, and in development projects there's there's a potential high reward, but there's also potential high risk as well. And so one of those risks is that the project doesn't proceed, and this is just one example of how that can happen. So um, yeah, we could have we could have cracked on. Um, we lost abortive costs, but if we'd have cracked on, we could have lost our shirts, and uh, we certainly weren't prepared to do that. So that's another lesson, really, is knowing when to quit, knowing when to accept defeat. Uh, I guess you know, and so we did. We accepted defeat. And um, I think the other thing to to kind of elaborate on there a little bit is that because we decided to uh, pull the plug, we went to our investment partners and we obviously we informed them as to the situation and what had happened, why it happened and, uh, you know, the, the rationale behind it. And everyone was very understanding um, and recognized that these sort of things can happen because we're very transparent and very open. But um, what we felt was the right thing to do was to not pass through those abortive costs to our JV investment partners, and that was a, a decision we took as a business, as a partnership, Damien and I, and um, we were, you know, more than prepared to carry those costs personally. But I'm going to say that I was overwhelmed with some of the response from, uh, you know, a couple of our JV partners, and uh, if you're listening, you know who you are. Who, um, who offered, you know, without any compulsion to, uh, to dip, dip into their pocket and to help support with some of those abortive costs as well. So sometimes there's, there's a real upside. Um, in fact, all of these case studies that I'm talking to you about, there is a clear upside. There is a clear learning. There is a clear benefit. There is clear personal development that has come out of it. And uh, in this particular case, yes, we were lumped with uh, somewhere between ten and twenty thousand of abortive costs. But you know, the response of our joint venture partners has been uh, overwhelming. Um, You know, willing to support, willing to go again on another project, and uh, and that kind of thing. So, and of course, we 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 backed out of the project, which is disappointing. You know, you know we, we had a little sulk for a day or so, in all honesty, uh, because this was going to be uh, quite a significant project for us. And, um, and you know, there it is. It goes away. So the learning from this is or learning from all of these situations is that um, the, you can and in fact you probably will uh, un, you know, in, encounter some kind of setback or defeat or failure in your property business. And my mentee asked me today something along the lines of is it, you know, how much do we need to expect along these lines? You know, how much setback or dealing with problems or hassle do we need to expect? And I don't have a percentage or a number of days or things like that as a as a response to that. All I would say is that there are, there are highs and lows in property. And um, which kind of brings me on to so what do we take away from all this? What do we learn from all this? And I, and I guess the, my key learning is is mainly two things. I'm gonna talk about the functional side of it first, which is about process. So um, if I talk about the Cambridge project, for example, which is some, something quite recent, we had a clear process What was that was uh, able to identify not only what our upside and our downside risk was, so that was all properly mapped out. We had a project plan, we had uh, professional advisors guiding us, all along the way, we had uh, different scenarios modeled out, so we kind of knew where we stood. But equally, we had the right checks and balances and due diligence in place, which, which flagged up the issue of the protected tenancy that I just talked about. Now, that's not a, that wasn't a difficult thing to identify. The lawyers would, would flag that up. But trust me, I've seen some lawyers recently who might not flag that sort of issue up. So um, we had good the legal team on board, and uh, they flagged it up, and um, and so we had pro- What I'm trying to say is, we had processes in place which helped to mitigate the risk. It could have been a lot worse because if we hadn't have known about these protected tenancies and proceeded. Uh, once we completed and then perhaps got planning permission and started to talk to the tenants, I'm sure it wouldn't happen exactly like this, but, you know, once we started to talk to them, then, of course, you know, we might have found ourselves in a bit of a sticky situation where people refused to leave and, you know, we maybe have to go to court action or we have to pay them a heap of money to leave. And, you know, it would be it would be a lot you know harder to deal with at that point in time. So, I kind of want to talk about the process. So, having clear due diligence, um, you know, and, and checks and balances in place as you go through a property project is going to be key. Oh, as a caveat to that, I will say we need to get very quick at doing that. Uh, just, just recently on Friday, I looked at three HMOs in a single transaction and um, and was able to undertake a due diligence process in half a day and commit to proceed on those transactions. So um, we, you know, they have due diligence, due diligence steps in place, but uh, we we need to be able to execute quickly when a good opportunity comes our way. So have processes, but, you know, act quickly and um, and definitely, I suppose, is the big takeaway there. The other one is all about mindset. Now, mindset's one of these sort of uh, esoteric terms, isn't it? You don't know what it really means, um, but it's it's all about having the right approach. Having I call it, I always talk about having an in- investor mindset, and what I mean by that is that we need to understand that setback is going to happen. I'm not saying that we will will it into our lives in some kind of you know, negative way that we'd speak negatively and then we get a bunch of problems to deal with. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we need to have a, a resilience about us, that uh, there will be, unfortunately, setbacks along the way. And I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this here and now. Every single property investor or developer has faced setback or defeat or failure in their, in their investing career pretty much without exception if if there is uh, if someone says you know i've never had that kind of thing richard at all never had failure or anything like that then to be honest with you they're either inexperienced that you know and, and perhaps haven't had enough opportunities for that uh, for things to go wrong uh, haven't had enough experience or perhaps they're not telling the truth. So um, I'm I'm as bold to say that. So if you ask anyone, I think it was always a classic interview question, wasn't it? What's uh, what's your biggest failure? Well, if you ask any property uh, investor, what's their biggest failure? If they said they've never had one, then you know, just kind of just look at the body language because either they've not done anything so that they've not experienced failure or perhaps they're not telling you. So uh, that's, why, that's part of the purpose of telling you the stories I'm telling you today. Um, I've had a lot of success, but you know there's a lot of issues here that I've mentioned that have been setbacks, quite frankly, and it's quite difficult sometimes to deal with that. So it's going back to the whole point of mindset. Be ready, be resilient to be able to deal with these things. Um, but have a positive, solution-oriented uh, approach is is also what I would say. So, if you start to get uh, down and and you know within yourself and sulky and depressed, then it's gonna it's gonna bring you down and you will be defeated. Now, the examples I've given you, um, I was not defeated. The projects were had setbacks or were defeated, but I was not defeated, and I want to make that distinction very very clear. Um, I'm not a failure. The, some of the projects experience setback or defeat or failure. And so um, there's a very clear distinction I want to make there. Um, in fact, actually, you know, I'm, I would say I'm a success in property. So I'm just talking about uh, you know, individual projects, individual deals. You can, unfortunately, experience setback and um and so it's it's um we have to learn from the experience we have to make sure it doesn't sap our energy we have to be resilient we have to be solution orientated and I think you know wherever possible we we need to have this approach where we 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 de you know we take away the emotion because if we struggle with the emotion it will it will bring us down uh, so we have to separate ourselves detach ourselves this is a business. Uh, and then we have to formulate tasks, if you like, to uh, to overcome them. Um, there may be steps that we can take. There may be people we can put in to do things. There may be systems we can implement to help with all of that. But changing the mindset from, um, you know, being post, taking it personally, suffering defeat, uh, feeling like a failure, we need to remove all of that. And we need to replace it with a solution or a can-do attitude, being resilient, being strong, go again. Guess what? In each of the situations that I've explained, one in the mid '90s, one in the early, you know, noughties, and one in the in the, in the recent past, going, I pick myself up and I go again. So you know, not, you, you cannot be defeated if you never give up. Is kind of what I want to say there. So that's that's kind of part of the takeaway that uh, I wanted to to explain. Uh, and, and elaborate on a little bit from, the, from this encounter really or the, these experiences. And I think there's a little bit of a sidebar to this because apart from actual defeat or actual setback or actual failure, there's also another thing which is the fear of that. And the fear of failure or the fear of defeat or the fear of setback or the fear of loss or whatever you want to call it can also get in the way as well. And so we may not do anything. We may not even actually undertake a property investment or, or some kind of development because we're so afraid of what could go wrong. Well, things could go wrong. I'm actually saying that on the one hand and sort of almost preparing ourselves for that is a good idea. But I'm not saying it definitely will go wrong. And I'm not saying that even if things do go wrong, it'll bring us down like the house of cards. And that's part of the reason why I talk about having a good process in place. So even if things do perhaps go a little bit awry, it's not going to bring us down. It's maybe, you know, that we may have a bruise, um, you know, a little bit of a dented ego to nurse for a while, but it should not bring us down if we do things uh, in the right way. And that's another reason why I'm so passionate about sharing knowledge, about to putting some of the tools I put out there, uh, because I want people to have that sort of foundation, that groundwork, which can help them avoid, you know you know, falling down a sinkhole or something like that. So the fear of failure can be as debilitating. It can be more debilitating, actually, than actual failure. So if you've ever experienced failure and you're perhaps reluctant to go again or you're uh, maybe thinking of getting involved in property, but you're just a little bit afraid, I've got a message for you, which is, you know, keep keep out the hope and uh, there's a great book if you haven't heard of this book already I suggest you get it which is called the it's called sorry feel the fear and do it anyway it's an older book now and it's written by Susan Jeffers and it's a fantastic read and it's all about just experiencing that fear and just pushing through it pushing through it anyway people often talk about you know when you're working out and stuff pushing through the pain and stuff like that well in property or any kind of business venture fear uh, can exist too um, it's kind of healthy sometimes because it's a survival instinct to to experience fear or, or suffer that. Of course, if you walk walking towards a cliff edge and you take another step, fear will kick in to say, don't do that because clearly you're going to fall over and it's not going to end well. Um, so, you know, there's a reason we have fear, but a lot of fear is irrational as well. And so, um, and this book deals with a lot about that. So, you know, pushing through the fear, not being gung-ho and taking undue risks. That's why I talk about process as well. Having, you know, the checks and balances in place as well is is also a, a very good idea. Anyway, so I hope that's been useful to kind of run through those uh, case studies and, you know, just rattle through them a little bit. Um, I haven't got into lots of detail, but you you know, I'm sure if I really pick it apart, I can um, elaborate a lot more in terms of exactly what uh, what the learnings are. But the thing is not to let it stop us. To have a process in place to help uh, overcome or prevent that sort of thing happening, um, have the right mindset, the mindset to deal with um, defeat or setback or even failure, and to push through fear, not in a reckless way, but push through fear in a way that any entrepreneur and that's what we are in, pro- in property. We're entrepreneurs. Uh, we're business people. And anyone who's run a business, anyone who's an entrepreneur would have pushed through pe- a fear as well. So they're my big takeaways from today. So um, uh, with that all said, I kind of wanted to sort of draw a little bit of a, a, you know, a line under that and, and really just point you to uh, the fact that I'm, I'm running an event uh, on the 1st of July and... Um, I think I, I, I kind of reason I've, brought, I've segued this and brought it into the conversation right now is that I think some of this is going to come out quite honestly. In fact, I know it is. I know it is. There's um, I've written a book, uh, Property Investor Toolkit, and talk talk about it being a seven part success uh, to uh, property investment. Actually, there's nine. Uh, Parts to success and I'm planning a second edition which adds in the extra two chapters and there's a bit of a clue actually from some of what I've been talking about today as to maybe what one of those chapters might be at least so um, I'm not going to give the game away too much. Um, There's another one so it's not not everything that's going to be revealed or shared or spoiled today. But um, needless to say, on the first of July, I'm running a workshop, and I'm going to be sharing um, that what these extra two chapters are all about. And they're kind of a bit of a missing ingredient or a secret sauce, if you like. So uh, I'm running that event, and if you feel that uh, you've, anything I've said today has touched on that, there's a sense of fear, or you're talking about, you know, concern about your mindset, or you want the right processes in place to be successful in property, or indeed, there's nothing like that. You just want to know, well, how do I get on with this? I just want to get on with it now. I want to do the right thing for me. Uh, then the workshop is probably going to be the right thing for you to attend. So have a look in the show notes. There's a link in there. And um, the, there's an Eventbrite um, invitation. Tickets are available. Um, I need to make a call on venue very, very soon. So I'm looking for a response on that. But equally, if you happen to have bought my book, uh, Put Investor Toolkit, or you subscribe to my um, YPN um, column, through my own website that is. Um, I'm sure if you um, subscribe through the magazine, but if you subscribe through the website, there's a little bit of a a bonus there for you. I'm just going to leave it at that. So um, if that hasn't made you perhaps want to subscribe or want to buy the book and maybe take advantage of that bonus, uh, which is aimed at uh, the 1st of July event, then I've probably given you enough pointers there to, to maybe look that up. But it's for a limited time only. Um, but on the 1st of July in London, we'll be running an event. Uh, by all means, pop me an email, uh, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. I'd be happy to share a little bit more about that and uh, how you could get involved because uh, there is a limited number of tickets. And it's the first live event that I'm doing as the Property Voice. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing as many of you as, uh, as possible possibly can. But there we go. Um, that's kind of what I wanted to run through today. I hope that's been useful. Um, i have t- spoken a little bit f- more than I intended to, but, you know, I hope it's been real at the same time. But um, drop me a line, as said, uh, look up the, uh, the, the show notes in the, um, on the website, uh, thepropertyvoice.net. It'd be great to hear from you. And hopefully I'll see one or two of you or a few more on the event, or sorry, at the event on the 1st of uh, July in London. But uh, right now, all I wanted to say is uh, thanks very much for listening once again. Uh, and until next time on the Property Voice podcast,
0: it's ciao ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.